and welcome to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. My name is Ruth Haley Barton, and I'm founder of the Transforming Center, and I'm here with Steve Weins, senior pastor of Genesis Covenant Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. Steve is also a Transforming Community alumni, which means we spend a lot of time laughing, growing, and being transformed in the presence of Christ in community with other leaders. Well, here we are, episode nine, final episode in the season called Seeking God in the Crucible of Ministry. And this episode is called Finding God in the Crucible of Ministry. And so we've been talking about the loneliness of leadership. And a couple episodes ago, we talked about the loneliness when it feels like people are against you. And we all have felt that. And then we talked about in the last episode, the loneliness when it feels like you're carrying the burden alone. We talked about discernment in community. And so now we're going to talk about the kind of loneliness that comes when you feel like God is against you. So let's pick up the story Mm -hmm. with Moses. Well, there's this pivotal moment in Exodus 32 and Exodus 33 where Moses has gone up to the mountain and he's received the Ten Commandments and then he comes down and he finds the people of Israel in an orgy around a golden calf. And really to to put ourselves in Moses' shoes and try to experience how devastating that must have been for him as a leader. So, you know, he probably wondered, what? I can't even go away for a little while and you guys, you know, can stay the course? What in the world? So not only have the people now turned away from God and they're worshiping false gods, but the worst part of it is that Aaron, his brother, is the one who has led them in making the golden calf. So his brother has turned away as well. They've completely lost the faith. So all that Moses has done to lead them to be true to the one true God has now gone up in flames. So he comes down and he's rightly, you know, very, very angry. Um, And God is angry too. And God actually threatens to leave and to abort the whole mission. He says, these are a stiff-necked people. You know, I'm still going to give you your signs and your wonders and your miracles, but I'm not going to go with you. And so in Exodus 33, we have another argument with God and Moses about that fact because Moses is not having it. Moses says to God, now, wait a second, that was not part of the deal. When you told me that you wanted me to lead the people out of Israel, you said that your presence would go with me. You said that that your presence would make all the difference, that that's how people would know that we were special was because your presence was going to be there, that you would, you know, continue to show signs and wonders. You promised me your presence. I am not going to keep going if you're not going to. Exodus 33. It's a pivotal moment in the life of a leader, I think, because this is a moment when we're getting into right relationship with our dreams and visions. Because what Moses is saying here now is, I, as a result of the long journey that I've been on, I know something. And what I know is that the presence of God is worth everything to me. And I would rather be here where God is and not go to the promised land than to keep going and to go without God. So what's happening here is that Moses is realizing that the presence of God is what's most important, even more important to him than the vision that God has given him the privilege to see. Now, This is a pivotal moment in the life of a leader because you're a leader because you see visions, right? Right. You're a leader because you have a vision of how something could be different or better or whatever, and your whole life is motivated by the presence of this vision out there. So for Moses to say that the presence of God is more important than the vision is just quite a turnaround. And so God and Moses argue it out, and Moses says, if you're not going to go with me, if you're not going to go with us, do not lead us up from here. Wow. So 
as we know, God and Moses have quite a mutually influencing relationship, don't they? It's and amazing. It, it is really amazing. And that's true. Yeah. That they argue. That they argue like an old married couple. You know, they um, they they influence one another. And so God allows God's self to be influenced in this passage. And he says to Moses, okay, um, I will do this thing that you ask. I'll, I'll go with you because you're asking me to. And Moses says, well, that's great, but I need a promise. I need some sort of a sign. Words are nice, but I need some sort of a concrete sign. So again, God's, God allows himself to be influenced rather than saying, what do you mean you're not going to trust my word? You know. Instead, God says, okay, I'll give you a sign. If that's what you need, I'll do it. And so Moses asks to see God's glory. And God knows better. God knows that Moses has already seen God's glory many, many times. He's heard the bells and the whistles and the, you know, the voice from the mountaintop. And he's seen all the signs and the wonders. God knows better. And God says, no, you know what? I think what you really need, you really need to see my goodness. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder if any of us who are listening or maybe even you, Steve, you've had this experience of um, seeing that your life and your ministry has brought goodness to other people. But you have this awareness that you're no longer sure if God is being good to you. Yeah. You are aware of the suffering. You're aware of the price that you've paid. You've seen the price that maybe your family has paid. You have gone through the school of hard knocks and you're kind of bruised up. And you can't quite see your future all that clearly. And you've made sacrifices. And you say, hmm, okay, so now God is being good to all these other people through my life. I'm laying down my life. God's being good to others through me. But I need to know that God's going to be good to me. I need to know that God's going to be good to my family. I need to know that God's going to take care of me. And I just love the fact that God knew Moses better than he knew himself. Yeah. And that Moses didn't need another display of power and glory on the mountaintop. What he needed was a very intimate sense that God is going to be good to me. So God says to Moses, okay, go stand on the mountain there. Go stand in the cleft of the rock. This is the place where you can stand, and I'll, I'll cover you. You can't see my face, but you can see my back. But I, there's a place for you in the cleft of the rock. Let me hide you there, and my presence will pass by. And I love to think about this moment, what it must have been like. And we don't know a lot about the moment. I wish we knew a little bit more, but I think it's sort of like that moment of intimacy between married persons. You just can't talk about it without ruining it, you know? And so we can't know. We cannot know what happened in that intimate moment, but we do know that God's goodness passed by. Um, And there's a phrase in there where God says to Moses, there's a place beside me where you can stand. Mm -hmm. And I've often thought of that phrase as being almost my inspiration for ministry is to say, I don't want to stand any place but the place that God has given me to stand. Oh, God, please keep me from trying to be anywhere except the place where you have given me to stand. I love that phrase. So Moses stands there and he gets the experience he's asked for. He gets to see the goodness of God and... Of course, I think the goodness of God is the glory of God. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the it's the best part of God is yeah. is the fact that God is so good. So we don't know exactly what happened, but we do know that Moses emerged from that place a changed person. Um, number one, God assures him that he will never again threaten to abort the mission; that he will be there and he will be faithful. And then, secondly, he emerges with a new copy of the Ten Commandments. God restores to him what has been lost because Moses has had losses. And part of what he lost was the initial Ten Commandments because when he came down from the mountain, he was so angry that he actually threw the Ten Commandments and broke them over the people. And I think that God giving him a new copy, if you will, of the Ten Commandments is actually a sign and symbol of how God restores to us 
what has been lost in our lives in ministry that God gives it back um, and more than what we could ever have imagined. So it's a beautiful moment in the life of Moses. And he, he emerges now with a much more balanced relationship with the vision. It's now been relativized. It's second. It's second to the presence of God. He's still willing to go for it as long as God calls him to, but he knows what is most valuable. It is the presence of God. And of course, the psalmist says that, doesn't he? He says the nearness of God is our good. Man. And Moses knows it now. You know, I think the cleft of the rock and the fact that we don't really know what that looked like mm-hmm. or what happened or what was spoken or what mm-hmm. wasn't spoken is almost a gift because then we, if that happens to us, mm-hmm. we don't try to recreate what happened mm-hmm. to Moses. Yeah. We, we let it be our mm-hmm. own cleft of the rock. Right. It also occurs to me when you were talking about um, the loneliness that comes actually from the leader that has been faithful mm-hmm. and that has borne a lot of fruit and that lots of people would say at their funeral, so-and-so really Im- impacted me. But the loneliness of the person that isn't sure. Um, it reminds me of the older son, actually, mm-hmm. in, in the in the story of the prodigal yeah. son. That probably, if you'd line up, I bet he he served well. He did mm-hmm. lots of lots of great things, but he wasn't sure mm-hmm. that all the father had was really, really his. Mm-hmm. Right. So, where does the story go from here with Moses? Well, Moses does lead with strength and with the inner authority that comes from encounter with God. You know, for the rest of the journey and. Um, it's reading about Moses' leadership is a pretty amazing yeah. thing. The wisdom that God gave him, the the way God sustained him, the wisdom that God gave him for different, very challenging moments, the times in which people tried to betray, and there were still times to mm-hmm. come when people tried to betray Moses and depose him and put someone else, you know, in the leadership role and things like that. Some of the most painful things that can happen to leaders, all of them happen to Moses. But Moses has his relationship with God and the nearness of God, and so that does sustain him. And so let's just put a bookmark right here and say that we will not be sustained for the long haul without this tenacious seeking after God that Moses had. When Moses said, if you're not going to go, don't send us up from here. I mean, that was a very tenacious seeking after God and saying, I'm not going anywhere without you, you know? So that is really important for us to realize that the soul can be strengthened, but it's strengthened through our encounters with God. It's not strengthened through our successes. And it's not even primarily strengthened through our um, the community that we're serving. Um, it's a hard truth, but this is the truth I see in Moses' life. And that was that his soul was not strengthened in relationship with the people that he was leading. They actually challenged him all the time. They actually weakened him at the soul level half the time. His soul was strengthened in the presence of God. Um, and that's how he sustained himself. And then eventually he does get to the end of the road, to the end of his earthly life. And we know from Deuteronomy 34 that they come to the promised land. And it's um, sort of across the way. You can be seen, but they're not in it yet. And God invites Moses to come up to Mount Nebo, where they can actually see the promised land. And God tells Moses, you can look, but you cannot go in. Mm. Ooh, this is a place where I have really argued with God because I've always been wired for leadership. And so the idea that God would rub Moses's nose in it, because that's what it feels like, that Moses makes this one little error back there and you tell him he can't go in and you sort of rub his nose in it by showing it to him, but saying you can't go. To me, this was a place of cruelty. In my younger years, when I would read this, I would say, that is the most cruel thing that God could have done, is to let him look but not go in. 
But I've kept my face and my nose in this story because I haven't been willing to just avoid it. I want to avoid it. I want to throw it out of the canon, but there it is, you know? (laughs) Um, And so as I have sat with this story, here's what I've come to. That is that at this point in Moses's life, he has now experienced the greatest good, and the presence of God has now become his promised land. Um, It's not a place anymore. It's not a vision that's out there. The vision of the promised land is now something that's that's with him all the time, and that is that he's learned that the, the nearness of God is his greatest good. So I imagine God and Moses sitting on the side of the mountain there and that everything in Moses's life, everything that he has been through has led him to this moment. And so something has changed him so much that he is completely at peace with himself and with God in whatever moment he and God find himself in. And now there's nothing in this world that has any hold on him at all. Moses and God are like two married people who have been married for a very long time. They have loved, they have fought, they have seen the highlights of their lives and the lowlights of their lives. They've walked their daughters down the aisle. They've seen their grandchildren get born. Um, They have come to a place of such deep understanding and comfort with each other that now all they need in order for life to be good is to be with each other. So they can rock on the front porch and they don't even have to say words to each other, but just knowing the other one's there is all they need for life to be good. And I think this is the moment that Moses gets to with God. He's like, you know what? The promised land, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm glad it's there. I believe the people will get there, but I don't need it in order to be satisfied and to be happy. I've got what I need, and that's the presence of God. And so I've wondered if the promised land is not a place, but it is this state of being where we are with God on God's own terms for us. And we don't need anything else in order to be completely satisfied with our life. And wow, to get to that kind of a place of satisfaction as a visionary leader, who has really seen God-given visions, not ego-driven visions, but true God-given visions of things that God would like to see happen on the earth. But still, even so, you're not overly attached to it. You can let it go when God says it's time to let go. It's a beautiful, to me, a beautiful aspiration to get to a place of such fullness of life with God that even though I still am willing to work, work for God and I'm still willing to Um, move towards a vision that I might have seen that I can also let it go at any moment because I'm completely satisfied with being with God. To me, that's, that's a leader who has strength, real strength and depth of soul and who can lead out of that place. Oh, I, and I love that, that picture of what the promised land is. And I'm thinking about leaders who are at the end of their career and everyone's yeah. throwing around words like legacy mm-hmm. and what's your legacy. Yeah. And um, talk a little bit yeah. more about how it is that these leaders can can let go mm-hmm. of the, the golden glitter. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's interesting because the word legacy is mixed for me. I hear people use that word a lot and wanting to leave a legacy. But sometimes I feel like even that kind of language is kind of grandiose. Absolutely. You know, um, that there's grandiosity in that, that I'm going to leave this thing that everybody's going to remember and associate with me. Um, I don't see that in Moses's life. I see him utterly willing to let go at the precise moment that God is calling him to let go. And I think I think leaders misstep at this point when they're unable to let go at the moment that God causes mm-hmm. them, calls them to let go. Um 
that sometimes they even do damage when they go beyond that moment when God has called them to let go. Um, I think, I think our legacy is who we are, hmm. you know? Um, and, you know, just having lost my mother a few weeks ago, um, I have a, I have a pretty fresh perspective right now on what it means to, to leave the, your loved ones behind and to go when God calls you to go. And I, I do believe that more important than anything we've done is the person that we have been and um, how we have walked with God and how people can look at our life and be inspired to walk with God themselves. And I think that's what I see in Moses as well, is that it was his person. It was his relationship with God. He still had the ability physically to go on. This is interesting, too, is that physically he was still a very strong man. And in fact, younger men, he could run circles around younger men. The scriptures are very clear about that. Yeah. The only thing that was going on is that God was saying it was time to stop. There was nothing physical or nothing external to say it's time to stop. It was God saying, hey, buddy, it's your time. I want you to come home to be with me now. Could we do life in a different way together now? Come home to me. You know, that's what God is saying. So um, for a leader to listen, and I'm always praying the prayer, believe it or not. Um, I started praying the prayer around the Transforming Center when we began, is that God would show me when was the moment for me to let go. And that keeps me... In, cl- in the clean relationship with even this thing that I've given 15 years of my life to. Um, regularly, I'm asking God, God, make sure that I don't miss it. Yeah. When it's time for me to let go and to have others step up and step in, please don't let me miss it. Please be clear with me like you were with Moses and make me ready to let go when it's my time to let go and to be with you in a different and in a new way. One of the prayers that's helped me is um, I didn't, the story didn't start with me. Mm-hmm. And the story won't end with me. Right, right. My job is to do that which God has called me to do. And when I'm done, let me be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a whole lot harder to do um, when you reach, when you're starting to reach the end of your life and you're starting to hit that Eric Erickson eighth mm-hmm. stage of integrity versus despair. Yeah. And you start asking the question, well, what did I do? Mm-hmm. And that, I think that's where the legacy question yeah. is. That's a fair question. Um, but then there's always something that glitters out mm-hmm. there. And it's interesting to me that the promised land, uh, you know, like if, if Joshua could have lived it out and then come back in time to this moment and he would have said, Moses, oh, my gosh, all I did was fight. <laughs> you know, like yeah. the promised land was yeah. just filled with conflict. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, and so, you know... Um, the promised land has to be presence. Yeah, yeah. Well, and one of the things that's so clear about the life of Moses and the person of Moses is that he was a friend of God. I mean, that's what that's what they say about Moses was that he used to meet with God face to face, as a friend meets with a friend. That's that's a beautiful thing to have said about you. You know that you were someone who knew God and walked with God as a friend. Um, and also that he was the most humble person on planet Earth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So with the leadership things that he did to be a friend yeah. of God and to be humble. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's, you know, like if that was your legacy, would you be yeah. okay with that? I, yes, I would. And I pray that I am. I pray that um, that I continue to feel a sense that that is the most important thing and can be satisfied when... You know, there's a moment in our lives when diminishment is what we're being called to. That this call to, for for 
myself to diminish and to be willing to, to enter into what is next. That sounds like freedom. Mm-hmm. It does. A leader like that is free indeed. And so I think another person, again, we've mentioned Dr. King, but, you know, Dr. King got to this place in his own life where he had seen the vision of a non-segregated society, he had seen the vision of a society that was more just um, to, in, in terms of the issue of race, and he had a clear dream that he had communicated to all of us that continues to, to inspire today. But on the night before he was, on the day before he was, um, martyred, he he actually expressed a, a certain kind of courage in saying, I might not get there with you, but I've been to the mountain and I've seen it and I'm okay. If I don't get there with you, I'm okay because I know God, I'll be with God, you guys will go on, I'm okay. And a leader like that is free indeed. He lived a lot of life and mm-hmm. was it 39, 39 years? 39, 39 years, mm-hmm. lived a lot of right. life. And as you prayed earlier, may we see another leader like that yes. in our time. It's been a fantastic season, mm-hmm. Ruth. Um, seeking God in the crucible of ministry, finding God in the crucible of ministry. And I wonder if you have one more uh, prayer that you would lead us in. Yes. I'm going to leave us with a prayer that was written um, in memory of Oscar Romero, who was the Archbishop of San Salvador and was martyred for his advocacy for the poor. Um, But I think this prayer, this prayer that was read in his honor, actually helps us to keep in right relationship with our own vision and uh, to seek God above all else. The prayer is, it helps now and then to step back and take a long view. The kingdom is not only beyond our efforts, it is even beyond our vision. We accomplish in our lifetime only a fraction of the magnificent enterprise that is God's work. We cannot do everything, and there is a sense of liberation in realizing this. This enables us to do something and to do it very well. It may be incomplete, but it is a beginning, a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and do the rest. We may never see the end results, but that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers, not master builders, ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future, not our own. Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening and being a part of our conversation today. As part of the launch of the expanded edition of Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, we're offering some special bonuses when you purchase the book. So if you'd like to take advantage of that, just visit us at transformingcenter.org for details. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we would love to know. Please leave us a comment wherever you listen to the podcast and subscribe so that you will automatically receive upcoming episodes. 